Hey everyone, welcome to the A to Z of sex, or the A to Z of sex if you're in North America. I'm Dr. Lori Beth Bisbee. I'm a psychologist, sex and intimacy coach, and a gender, sex, and relationship diversity therapist. And I am working my way through the erotic alphabet one letter at a time. I created this podcast to help you learn to express your desires, learn more about desires, spice up your relationships, and create those sizzling relationships that you have always wanted. I do this through solid science, real-life stories, and conversations with an exciting array of experts. Listen in weekly as I share key strategies that will help you choose the relationship style that works best for you and create exactly what you want and need. Make sure to subscribe so you don't miss any episodes and you can take advantage of the subscriber bonuses. And if you want to know more, head over to drlauribethbisbee.com and sign up for my email list so that you can find out exactly what is going on in my world from week to week. But for now, come join me and enter my world of sex and relationships. See you inside. Welcome to the A to Z of sex with me, Dr. Lori Beth Bisbee. I've spent over 30 years helping people to create and maintain amazing relationships that contain sizzling sex without shame. We are working our way through the erotic alphabet one letter at a time. Today, the letter is O, and O is for oxygen deprivation. You guessed it, today's show is all about erotic asphyxiation, also sometimes known as breath play. Breath play has become ever more popular in recent years, with tons of videos on TikTok and Instagram showing choking as hot and even more showing people using a belt to choke a partner. Many of these videos are by people in their teens who have no idea what the consequences could be from actually doing what they're pretending to do, nor do they really have any idea what it would feel like or what someone might get out of it. They seem to think of it as a manly thing to do because it's most always um, male-presenting folk who are doing this, um, and it seems to have become the symbol of being masculine and macho and, and hot, um, which is somewhat unfortunate, as this is one of the most dangerous things that you can actually get involved in. Um, so I'm going to talk today about um, both autoerotic asphyxiation and uh, partnered erotic asphyxiation and breath play, um, and a little bit about safety issues and um, uh, alternatives and ways that you can kind of create this feeling without putting yourself in the position that's being suggested here. Um I'm going to say again, and I'll say it more than once because I think it's really important, that uh, there is no safe way to do this. Let me repeat that for those in the back. There is no 100% safe way to do this. But a lot of things that people choose to do are risky. Um, And a lot of things that 
people choose to do sexually when engaging in BDSM are risky. And the idea is to evaluate risk for yourself, take responsibility for the risk level, and then make a choice based on your evaluated risks. Now, we refer to that um, as personal responsibility in consensual kink, or prick for short. Um, so that uh, replaced, for many people, uh, both RAC, which was risk-aware consensual kink, and um, SSC, or safe, sane, and consensual kink. The idea being that one needs to take personal responsibility for the risk profile that one is choosing. So this is a, a, a really important point for this. You cannot depend on your partner to know things and to take care of things and to um, be terribly, be the only responsible person when it comes to taking risk with your own life. And this is a kink in which you really need to also rely on yourself and take personal responsibility, which means that you need to educate yourself. And this podcast is going to give you some information, but actually when it comes to things involving cutting off your breath, um, cutting off oxygen to your brain and tissues and cutting off blood supply to your brain, to your heart, et cetera, et cetera, there is nothing that uh, takes the place of an actual live class from somebody who knows what they're doing and what they're talking about. And you really need to learn your anatomy and know your anatomy. You also need to be, both you and your partner, incredibly well-versed in um, first aid techniques and resuscitation techniques. Just saying. So, um, as you know, I don't judge on this podcast. I am not judging your choices if you choose to do this i am just going to highlight the safety risk and one of the many reasons that people like to um engage in this type of play is they think that it will uh, give them more intense orgasms um and more enjoyable orgasms that is one of the many reasons that people mention that they engage in any kind of play that um restricts breathing and so restricts oxygen to the brain and also restricts blood flow. Um, there are many other ways to get a more intense orgasm. And I will talk about one, at least one of them towards the end of this podcast so that you have some other ideas. So if that's the only reason you're doing this, given how high a risk this is, I would urge you to consider other options before you settle on this. Autoerotic Okay, I always do this, so I'm not even going to correct this error or edit it out because so many of us pronounce asphyxiation poorly. So there it is. I've said it correctly now. It's asphyxiation. Autoerotic asphyxiation is has been around for a multitude of years. There are reports of it in the um, 16 and 1700s, so this is nothing new. Um this is definitely a practice done in order to increase the intensity of an orgasm. Um, the idea of coming while going. Uh, it is a really risky game to play. Uh, there are 500 to 1,000 deaths per year in the United States. 
which are the accidental result of autoerotic asphyxiation. Um, usually when people are doing this, they use a variety of different methods and they rely on a way of saving themselves. So um, one of the most common ones, one you've probably seen imagery of, is um, people who ha partially hang themselves and, and they have a chair that they can step onto in order to relieve the pressure. If the chair or the stool falls over, that's when there are accidents. But people also do things using scarves, tightening and loosening scarves and belts and putting plastic bags over their heads. And all of these rely on you not passing out before you can loosen the scarf, loosen the belt, or remove the bag. Sometimes people have friends present to help them. Obviously, you're less likely to have an accident if somebody's willing to let you out. Um, but if you're on your own, you're really relying on your ability to quickly manage to judge exactly when you are going to pass out. And that is not easy. Um, which is why we say that this is extremely risky. The goal is the orgasm at the, at the point of a, being about to lose consciousness, but predicting that is really problematic. So um, predicting what will lead to heart issues or death when you're doing this on your own or with others is not easy. There are so many factors that come into account that can mean that something that was safe last time is not safe this time. And by safe, I mean didn't cause you too much damage. Again, it's not 100% not safe. When you restrict oxygen to the brain, it takes very little to cause brain damage. Some cells dying is brain damage. Now, having that happen once or twice is one thing. Having it happen continuously and multiple two times is another. And we do not know the point at which it becomes permanent problematic brain damage. So it's permanent already, but problematic brain damage. Um, we don't know where that is. So that is really important to consider. David Pillow, who's known as Master Kairos, said that breath play is the most dangerous form of BDSM play. It's the only type of play that even if you make no mistake can cause severe damage or death. Many dungeons will not allow breath play under any circumstances. Because many films and books have romanticized it, people who attempt breath play have a fantasy view of this. And so this is really important, that you can do everything right and still you can end up with a dead body on your hands. That's really not something you want to have happen. So during breath play, oxygen is restricted. And when oxygen is restricted, person first becomes lightheaded and or dizzy. And when the oxygen rushes back to the brain, people will experience an intense rush because their body releases dopamine, serotonin, and endorphins. Now, in case you don't know, dopamine and serotonin are neurotransmitters, which are chemical messengers that regulate body functions. And they th regulate things that include sleep, emotions, and metabolism, amongst others. Endorphins are the body's natural pain relief. The release of these chemicals during oxygen deprivation is a protective mechanism. It's, it's saying danger, danger. It's supposed to be a warning signal. But because people experience these as positive, because they find the um, experience pleasurable, they don't see it as a warning signal. They're not reading their body signal correctly. Their body's telling them to stop what they're doing, but they're pursuing it because they enjoy the feel of it. 
Some people enjoy breath play just because of those physical sensations, but many enjoy it for the power dynamic. And the kind of TikToks and things you're seeing, those images of here's the macho man controlling the person, that goes along with that power dynamic. The dominant person in this case has control over life or death, truthfully. Not in a fantasy world. This can be intensely arousing for both the dominant person and the submissive person. But let's be clear about this. It's not, a, it's not game pain playing control of life or death. In this case, it's reality, and they may not even have good control over that. If you're considering breath play, what you want to do is learn the anatomy of the neck, head, and chest to start um, and really learn it well. And for this, I recommend taking a class with somebody who knows this well. Now, this might be a class on breath play, but it might also be a class simply on anatomy. You may take two classes in this case, one on how to do the kink and the other on just anatomy so you're really well-versed. There are different kinds of breath play and they have differing risks. So choking is done in a number of ways, but pressing on the outside of the throat will will cut off both the air and the blood to the brain. It's the two arteries on the side of the neck that cut off the blood, if you didn't know that. Um, Pressure on the trachea, which is where the Adam's apple is, needs to be watched because you don't want to break anything. You could break the hyoid bone, which is what supports the tongue. You can collapse the esophagus if you're not careful. So you need to watch how much pressure. Some people who talk about this as a kink recommend that you never cut off so much air so that it's impossible for a person to speak. So that you actually leave enough for a person to be able to tell you when to stop, not just give you signals and signs of when to stop. Strangulation is mostly about pressure, which can unfortunately become dangerous really quickly. Um, Cardiac arrest is actually the first risk when you're doing strangulation. Belts are not easy to control, which is why belts are something that should not be used. I know they look hot. I know people talk about them all the time. But really, because they're hard to control, they should not be used. If you're going to use something... Ties, scarves are much better because they're flexible and they're easier to control. Um, And many people will suggest leaving a two fingers between the belt or scarf and the neck and actually doing the rest of the, the, the pressure manually. So you start the pressure with the belt or the scarf and you do the rest of the pressure manually. Um, because they think it'll mitigate the risk. However, this isn't predictable again. It's not clear cut, but certainly it does mitigate some risk. So it is one thing to consider. Some people simply put a bag over the head um, in order to deprive oxygen. The risk of this is that the person will pass out before the bag can be removed. But if you're doing it with another person, it may seem like it's easier. The thing is, it's not completely predictable because you're being deprived of oxygen and you're adding in carbon dioxide. So it's not 100% predictable um, or even 80% predictable as to when a person is going to pass out. But it is another method. Um, Smothering is a popular way. um, And it's probably, 
face sitting is probably the most popular way of smothering. Um, and so face sitting, the dangers depend on how much weight and pressure you are putting on the person. Understand that smothering is not just about obstructing the airways, but actually pressure on the chest, making it hard to, to, to get a breath in. So it's pressure on the person as well, um, depending on where a person is sitting. So when you're looking at face sitting, obviously the danger is the person doesn't get up before death occurs. However, um, this is much more controllable in many situations. And the idea is to have a signal when it's too much and um, usually a physical signal. So you can actually touch the person that is on top of you. That will make it easier. So again, anytime you're doing any of these things, if you're completely restraining the person to whom you're doing it to, the risk is higher. Um, there's also compression to the chest. Um, which can make it impossible to breathe. If you put a, a heavy, really heavy person on top of the chest, it can make it difficult to breathe. Sometimes this can be an issue in, in missionary position sex when you've got a very large person. If they put their full body weight on, that can make it very difficult to breathe and can make it incredibly difficult um, to let the person know that you're causing them problem breathing. So that's one to, to really be paying attention to. This is um, usually something that is done consensually. What I was describing could be accidental, but it's usually something that's done consensually. Waterboarding is one we don't talk about too often because waterboarding is a form of pretty extreme torture. Um, in traditional waterboarding, a person is strapped down Water is poured over a cloth on their face and mouth, which makes the person feel as if they're drowning. If the water is poured intermittently, then people don't usually die, though they can actually end up with water in their lungs, which is really problematic. Um, if it's poured continuously, it leads to death by dry drowning. It causes asphyxiation. It can lead to a ton of side effect, negative side effects like damage to the lungs and damage to the brain. Again, if you don't strap someone down, you uh, prevent some of these effects because when the person gets to the point where they can't take it anymore, they move. So if you're not restraining someone and you're not weighing them down, they can get away from this, which in some senses could make it slightly less risky. However, still incredibly risky. Chemical breath play is when one uses a gas to take the place of oxygen. Um, people do this with nitrous oxide. Um, that's part of the um, high when people are taking in lots of nitrous oxide, right? Um they hold their breath and they're only breathing nitrous oxide. Whereas when nitrous oxide is used um, as an anesthetic, it's being used in combination with oxygen. So that's quite different. So then you're high, but you're not asphyxiating. Okay. Those are kind of the main ways of, of engaging in breath play. What we haven't talked about is stuff that is just restricting blood flow only. And I will talk about that later, but those are the main ways 
of controlling breath. The main risks if things go too far, well, obviously death, we've talked about that, but brain damage. Um, I did say earlier, so every time the brain is deprived of oxygen, there's damage. But what you're looking at is the effects over time. So the effects over time can become very serious or it can happen all at once. And again, that's not 100% predictable. It's not predictable from person to person. No one can tell you if you only do it for X amount of time, you are safe. So that is one of the main risks. Another risk is that people often will be dizzy and um, nauseous. And if they vomit, you have the risk of somebody aspirating the vomit, um, which is what happens when you end up breathing in some of your vomit and it enters your lungs. That can cause infections. Um, that can also cause death. So um, again, something to be avoided at all costs. Damage to the larynx from pressure, as I mentioned earlier, or a fracture of the hyoid bone, which is the bone that supports the tongue. And heart attack for this is a rare complication. However, um, where heart attack is more problematic is cutting off the blood supply. Now, there are many people who will suggest that cutting off the blood supply is safer than um, as, asphyxiating, than oxygen deprivation, than breath deprivation. The evidence doesn't fully bear this out. So it's important that you pay attention to this if you're thinking that this is the best way to do it. Um, one of the examples of problems is called carotid syncope. And this is when pressure on the carotid sinus, and that is the place where the artery is, under the chin, it's the place where you see people put pressure the most often by the ear, all the way in the back under the chin by the ear. Um, pressure can cause a person to lose consciousness in this case. Um, it can also um, do that with very little pressure. So some people are, are prone to this and they will pass out with very little pressure. Um, and this can cause significant problems. Heart attack is definitely, cardiac arrest, heart attack is definitely one of the risk factors for doing this. So it's important that you are clear, again, that this is a risk and also that with you and your partner know CPR and you have equipment available to help you with this wherever you are playing. So doing this alone in a hotel room is not a great idea. If you're going to do something like this, do it in a well-equipped play space that allows it, that's prepared for it. So what are some safer alternatives to create similar feelings? Well, we were talking um, about orgasm and increasing the intensity of an orgasm. So one of the, um, the best ways of increasing the intensity of an orgasm that I can think of is engaging in some edging. So if, in case you don't know, edging is when you allow, allow somebody to get extremely close to orgasm and then pull back from the orgasm multiple times until finally going through with the orgasm and the orgasm is much more intense. So this is something that you can do yourself. So if you're somebody who was thinking erotic asphyxiation would, autoerotic asphyxiation would um, bring you that um, 
extra thrill, that extra intensity at orgasm, why not try doing some edging on your own and see if that will do it? Because that can bring in a really intense orgasm, especially if you go on for a long enough time. But there's also the power dynamic aspect of edging. So for those people who are engaging in part because they enjoy the power dynamic, they enjoy somebody else being in control, this gives an alternative. They can be in control of your orgasm. And yes, I am aware psychologically that being in control of an orgasm versus being in control of your life is two different things. But it can be pretty intense when you're doing edging. So that is one alternative. Another alternative is breath controlled by having the person hold their own breath. So this is one with an instruction of breathing before they pass out. So don't hold it until you pass out. You ask them to hold it as long as they can. Um, and so in this case, though it is the dominant person giving the instruction and requiring the person to do it, it is the person who's holding their breath, who has the control, who knows when they're going to pass out and therefore can stop and breathe at that point, um, um, preventing the loss of consciousness, which is where we already know brain damage has occurred, right? A second way is to put a hand over the mouth tightly, but leave the nostrils open. To simulate a full closure, you would pinch the nose, but not pinch it closed. So the person can still get air in. They may have to work a little harder, but that's part of the fun. That's part of what the person was going for. But you're not cutting off breath completely. You are allowing some breath in. And that one can actually simulate incredibly well full breath control because you're making it hard for the person to breathe, but without the same level of risk, with a much lower level of risk. You can also do fantasy choking, which is where you do have the hand around the face and neck, but you're not putting pressure in the places that would actually cause the choking, but you are holding the face quite tightly. So you're holding the person in the position you would, you would see when, when you see these videos of choking, um, but without the pressure. And for some people that simulation will work. Another thing is to use restraints. If you're using restraints as part of your um, asphyxiation to use restraints that aren't really that tight. So they actually have the feel of the restraint, which is enough for the fantasy to, to tap into the fact that the person could tighten it so that they couldn't breathe. The person could take their life. So you have that same thrill if that's what the person is looking for. And many people are looking for that thrill. You've got that same thrill because all it would take would be somebody to pull it tighter. And that would only take a second. But you don't have the same risk because you're not actually obstructing breath. Um, and that one can work incredibly well. Because the person is reinforcing their dominance. It's reinforcing their power. It's reinforcing their ability to cause injury or death without actually taking the risk of really doing that. And an, a final way that um, works for some people is to use a hood. But again, the hood needs to be loose enough so that there is some air getting into it. 
because if it's left on too long or too tight, no air can get in. And then we have the same problems that we do if you put a bag over someone's head. So there needs to be air holes and there needs to, there needs to, person needs to be able to get enough air in through the air holes. That also, because that takes away sight, can raise the intensity of the experience, the intensity of the fear response, um, and the intensity of feelings of surrender and submission because you're cutting off sound and you're cutting off sight as well. Um, But if you're leaving enough room for air to get in, then you're doing that without um, having the risk level that you have when you're cutting off air supply. Those are my suggestions um, for alternatives to breath play and to erotic asphyxiation but also to blood play um again it's up to you to assess the amount of risk you're willing to take we take risk every day all day everything we do is a matter of risk assessment we just don't often think about it and what i encourage people to do is to really pay attention and risk assess in a deliberate and positive manner so that they have great experiences instead of finding themselves in situations where um, they have bad experiences, experiences that cause them pain, their partner's pain, and potentially experiences that are catastrophic and traumatic. It's about learning to risk assess and making sure you have all the information you need to be able to balance risk and then taking responsibility for the risk you take. So should you choose to go ahead with um, some straightforward breath play, you've done so knowing the risk you're taking and should something happen, you take responsibility for that so you're not blaming others and you're really clear what your responsibility was in the risk as you have actually clearly assessed it before you've done it. That's all for this week. Next week will be the letter P. If you want more, head over to drlauribethbisbee.com and fill the form in so you're on the mailing list. Being on the mailing list gives you a lot of perks. You will be the first to know when new things are happening. You'll be the first to know when discounts are happening. You'll know um, all about where you can get more of my free content, be it on um, somebody else's podcast articles that I've written, um, a whole bunch of them are listed on my media page. But people on the mailing list get links as soon as things come out and they get new additional links for things that don't end up on the website. Um, It'll also tell you when the next retreats are and the next groups are. And being part of my community always means you get a discount for services, which is not insubstantial. So... Do go over and fill in the form so that you are on the list. If you write a review for this podcast, either on Apple or Spotify or Stitcher or all of them, there is a raffle each month for a free 20-minute session with me, one-to-one if you write a review. Now you should know that you can't get these sessions any other way anymore. 
Um, since Open House, The Great Sex Experiment came out, things have been absolutely crazy. So my ability to give away free time got smaller and smaller and smaller. So you cannot get these sessions any other way than in the raffle for the review or, or being given as prizes for other contests that we do. So if you would like to grab 20 minutes free with me, leave a review and each month we raffle and you will be sent an email with the link to book your time. Reviews really help. And I know that people often can't be bothered, but reviews really do help. So I would really appreciate it. And this is how I'm showing my appreciation. Also, if you have a topic you'd like to hear about, please do drop me an email, Beth at drlauribethbisbee.com. And in the subject line, please put topic for podcast, and then just put the topic in the email. We will get around to each and every topic at some point. Um, I've been going since 2016 and we will keep going. So just send the topic in that way. You can also send in the names of people you would like to hear as guests because I do frequently have guests. So do let me know who do you want to hear from. Again, put it in an email and put topic podcast in the subject line so that I don't miss it. Have a great week. Stay safe. Enjoy yourselves. And I'll see you soon. Thanks for tuning in. You were just listening to the A to Z of sex or the A to Z of sex if you're in North America. If you enjoyed the show, please do leave a review wherever it was you listened to it, but especially head over to Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and Stitcher. Reviews really help the show get out there. If you want to support my work, you can support it through my Patreon page. That's Dr. Lori Beth Bisbee on Patreon.com. You can also head over to DrLaurieBethBisbee.com and subscribe to my free mailing list, which will keep you updated as to the activities I am getting up to and any special appearances. For people who subscribe to the Patreon, there are special broadcasts, merch, um, and the opportunity to get discounted tickets to a lot of the events that I do. Knowledge gives you power. The more you know, the better your relationships, the better your satisfaction and joy. If you've got suggestions for the show, comments or questions, do email at lauribeth at drlauribethbisbee.com and I will try and incorporate them. Have a wonderful week filled with loads of joy.